Happy New Year! Wait, 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 wait. It's more than a week into the new year, and I'm not entirely sure how long we get to say Happy New Year. Anyways, it's great to be back after a little vacation with my family for the holidays. Here's a little sampling of what was going on in my house for the last few weeks. This is Beekeeper Confidential. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Now that we're back in business, let's talk bees. I had a really close call with a crabby bee just a few days ago. I was doing an oxalic acid vaporization treatment for a local beekeeper, and it was raining and cold, but those bees weren't all snuggled up in their hive. Oh no. They were in gladiator mode, and when I pulled the vaporizer tray and the rag that I used to close the entrance away from the hive, bees came exploding out. Now, I wasn't prepared for that, and so I wasn't wearing a veil. Just my hat, my glasses, and my respirator mask, because safety first. And as the bees came exploding out, one got caught somewhere below my ear, I could hear her screaming ferociously, and I felt a prick on my neck. And I'm trying to keep my cool, but I was also freaking out because I couldn't seem to brush her off. So I leave the area so I could slowly remove my mask because it seemed like maybe she was caught in it somehow. So I take a deep breath. Keep in mind, she's still screaming. I remove my hat, and then I unfasten my mask and pull it away from my face, and I see a bee fall to the ground. At this point, the hive owner comes out of the house, and I have her check my neck for a stinger, and she only sees redness, but no stinger. Whew! So later on that morning, I actually found the stinger on my jacket lapel. So today's lesson is veil up even when you think you don't need to. Let's meet our newest patron, John Davis. He and his wife, Susie, are longtime supporters of mine, who I consulted before I took the leap into becoming a beekeeping entrepreneur, and I'm so glad that they encouraged me to do it. If you want to become a patron, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Mandy Shaw. And if you aren't able to become a patron, that's okay too, by subscribing, leaving reviews and comments and liking and sharing on social media, you get to help share the stories that we tell here. And that's what this is all about, really. Connecting beekeepers with other beekeepers, learning from each other, and shining our own light in this chaotic world. Today, we have a two-for-one special. That's right, two guests, one episode. Meet Cynthia and Scott from Rhode Island. I met Cynthia a few years ago on social media and have watched her beekeeping journey unfold and the launch of her beekeeping business, Little Roadie Beekeeping. In this interview, I'm meeting her partner in crime, Scott, for the first time. Scott just got voted in as vice president of the Rhode Island Beekeepers Association, and together they manage the Rhode Island Beekeepers Association apiary with the help of Scott's wife, Emily who makes a brief appearance in the episode. 
Sometimes beekeepers say bad words, so if you have young ones listening, you may want to send them in the other room, because there is a swear or two in this episode. Hello. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. I'm super excited, and I kind of feel like Wayne and Garth when they were meeting Alice Cooper. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We suck. We suck. Oh my god! I totally wow. was gonna wear Alice Cooper makeup today. Just <laughs> the, the Skype camera is not very uh, forgiving, so well, maybe I'll just do like some Alice Cooper makeup. <laughs> So you're master beekeepers. Yeah. True. You guys are the first master beekeepers to be on my show. Nice. Wow. So that, that's nice. a really big deal. Did you both go through the program together? Uh, yeah. Well, I did. Um, half and half. Yeah. Cindy started the year before me. So she, she moved through a bunch of the testing before I started. I only started this year, really. Yeah, he passed on his first try, which is pretty awesome. How did you do that? Uh, just put my nose to the grindstone, studied my butt off, and uh, luckily had you know the support of you know Cindy taking the test. She and I we talked all the time, did all our studying together, and then my wife, who's not here today, she's usually kind of the third partner in this triangle whenever we're doing B stuff. So she would be like the quiz master, essentially. Yeah. Um, She's like our, our, our professional handler. She does everything. For exactly. yeah, she's, she does all the technical stuff while Scott and I argue about what we're going to do next. So I have, I have uh, my business, Little Roadie Beekeeping, and I drag Emily along with me a lot of the times. I drag Scott along whenever he can get out to do that. But we also run the uh, Rhode Island Beekeepers uh apiary and we do, we do a time we do everything else together so it's you know how did you two meet i think i was in like my second year keeping bees and my hive was vandalized it was knocked over and so i was in my second year and i was just at that point where you just get a little too comfortable and overconfident and i tried to like put it all back together by myself the whole hive was like upended and it was um, it was really bad <laughs> and I, I'm a little bit of a social phobe, so I hadn't like really talked to or reached out to any other beekeepers. I was doing it strictly on my own. And so after my hive was vandalized, I really, I was completely freaked out. I was stung a ton of times. I mean, I was having nightmares about bees like buzzing in my ear and I'd wake up like, Ugh. oh yeah. God. So, um, 
So I reached out to Scott. He's a year ahead of me um, as far as like keeping bees. So he and Emily came over and checked out my bees and we just kind of our friendship went from there. Did you contact me directly or yeah, I, like a general I messaged. No, you actually, it was, um, I was kind of like stalking you guys on your Provident, your Tumblr <laughs> page. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a stalker. What can I say? Um, and then he commented when I put a picture of my, uh, my poor vandalized hive. Um, and actually that hive was actually starting to get hot too. So it was like a horrible uh, situation. So anyways, I, I, he had commented on it and uh so i messaged him and then he came out and helped me out so for the person that vandalized your hive do you think they've felt the wrath of your hot angry bees i really hope so i mean several other passerbys felt the wrath yeah oh no you know it was it was my first real uh real big lesson you know don't do stuff like that alone (laughs) Because it was, and and don't wear Mary Janes, wear like big rubber boots. <laughs> oh God! It, oh yeah, it was it, to this day. You know, I I wear everything from just a veil to a full suit, but I always always wear boots. I'm just ever since then I'm really really sensitive about my feet. People who walk out and do their highs in flip flops, I'm just like no, absolutely not. What about you, Scott? What do you like to wear when you work with your bees? Ah, uh, chaps. Yeah, yeah, assless <laughs> chaps usually. <laughs> You know, I, I honestly, we tend to try to wear as, as little protective gear as possible just because, you know, our season here um, on the East Coast, you tend to be working bees. It's June, July, August. I don't want to be wearing like a full a full suit, certainly. I, I don't own one. Um, so minimally a veil just because I'm not really bothered by stings, but getting stung in the face, I will swell up. You go to work the next day, you got to answer all the questions, you look like the elephant man. So I, I minimally will always wear a, a veil. Um, like Cindy mentioned before, don't wear flip-flops. I, I actually, early in my career, um, I was selling a, a nuke to a guy. I, I had him come over, it was like nine o'clock at night. I'll, you know, I'll seal everything up for you, it'll be fine. All the bees will be inside. Well, of course it was a, like a Saturday in summer. We had a, a barbecue. I'm drinking beers all day. I'm wearing shorts and a tank top and flip flops, and I'm like, "Oh, this is a, this is going to be easy. I'll go out there." I, I just got annihilated. Like the bees just poured out. Like someone turned on a faucet, and I got like 50 stings in like 30 seconds. The guy's pulling into my driveway at that moment, and I just had to like just wave him off. Be like, you know? so like like Cindy said, you you don't want to underestimate these creatures like we we tend to especially early on i think once you get a certain level of experience you start to get that kind of feeling of invincibility like oh i know everything and you know you you think i've got two years under my belt i've seen it all you know and it really just takes one experience to kind of put you back in your place and say you know what we're really not in control we're yeah you know these are not domesticated animals they're they're still these are not my friends no they're not not (laughs) yeah yeah i have some hives but i call them my country hive and uh (laughs) i have a couple that i'm actually taking care of for a friend of mine his house burned down and his hives survived which was pretty amazing um like the back halves of the hives are all singed and when i went in to like clean them out they were like 
um, glue, like the honey had like uh, solidified. It was like petrified honey and really had to just get in there and get the frames out. But um, he has this one hive and I call it the bitch. It is crazy, horrible. I actually will not return that hive until I requeen it in the, (laughs) by the time, like I I was, I was so busy with um, testing this, this summer and stuff, um, I'm going to requeen that before he can have that back because it's in, out in the middle of nowhere right now. But um, I have to, you know, like wear my suit for certain situations because like I, I'll get the, some of those bees. I will get my ass kicked. Like hence, I'll wear the full suit for yeah. if I go out to see the country girls. When you're working with bees as mean as the country girls, how do you go about requeening it? If it's a large colony and you have to take it apart, like how do you keep your cool? I have well, I, I just got an ultra breeze and that's a that's a really nice suit. Um I mean, because they 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 get you through your jeans when they really get going. But you know, I'll just uh, you know, you use smoke, do it at the optimal time of day if at all possible, and um, you know, you just gotta do it. There's really um a lot like I, I had to do some stuff today in the rain. And you just, you just have to get it done happily. Like if, like I have hives in the city and if they got really hot, I would move them out to the country and get everything done in the middle of nowhere. So I wouldn't put like my neighbors at risk. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of nice that I have like my, my out yards where I can move hives if I need to. I would never try to re I would never have that hive in the city and I would never try to do anything until I had moved it out of the area. I'm really like, paranoid about my hives getting hot so yeah. I, I tend to really keep an eye on that so one concern we always have and we we try to you know we, we try to enforce these kinds of uh ideas to our club members and people we we mentor is the idea of being a good neighbor mm-hmm. um because like i said everyone is there's no bee colony in rhode island that's not within flying distance of another bee colony. More like and, a big TB ward. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like if, if you have disease or pests in your yard, your neighboring beekeepers are going to have it. But you also have to be a good neighbor to the people who aren't beekeepers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like we, we take these things for granted. Oh, there, there are going to be bees in the air. You know, you might have to deal with that. Our neighbors didn't sign up for that. Um, so we, we always try to, you know, recommend you follow the best best practices as far as being a good neighbor for our non-beekeeping mm-hmm. does rhode island have a set of best practices statewide we're, we're actually in the process of of trying to get that nailed down right now it is definitely something we have all talked about on like the executive level yeah uh, it's it's in the planning processes we've we've got an initial draft written up but it, nothing has been rolled out yet it is kind of cool because we're so small there's one club there's one executive board there's just like right you know where you know it's like yeah we don't have individual county clubs yeah. with like mm-hmm. a, a larger governing body we, we are just the rhode island club yeah yeah um, he just got voted as like he's vice president so. congratulations it's of royalty you. right now <laughs> potentially dubious honor but thank you yeah (laughs) but it's great because we are a really active club we we have you know five to six hundred members at all times um, on books our meetings usually we'll pull in 75 to 80 people in the summer um we have a really active facebook group that gets a lot of really great um discussion going on there so even though we are small um there's like a lot of 
a lot of vitality there and people are really excited about bees. Um, you know, it makes it, it makes it fun to be a part of it. Yeah. And I think like, that's probably one of, um, I, I, I try to like, like I said, I stalk people on, on social media and I try to like kind of keep an eye on like, I'll find other beekeepers in my area that I know everybody knows each other in Rhode Island too. So if you're not in the, the bee club, I don't know you, you know, like there's a couple outlier beekeepers that I, I kind of like just keep an eye on them. And I've said like, you know, sent them messages like, Oh, you know, you should come and hang out with the club. I know, you know, you're always going to find people that are going to disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. But I do think that whether you are, um, you know, whether you're treatment free or whether you're not or whatever, you know, there's always like that big schism between the two factions of philosophies involving mind control. But um, I, regardless, it's really important to know what's happening in your area mm-hmm. that whether or not you're not going to do anything, you know, and I'm a, I mean, I always tell people, yeah, be treatment free. That's great. But are you going to euthanize your colonies when they can't manage their mind? Which I think, yes. is but, you know, whatever. I, I, don't even get into those arguments anymore but um (laughs) but at any rate I try to reach out to people just so that everybody knows what everybody's doing it's you you always can learn something new too from other people Mm -hmm. but it's hard because you get a you get a club and you get like a couple of people who are really outspoken and it can potentially turn off like a ton of people from wanting to join be connected and things like that yeah very difficult you know so but we have a pretty good leadership so it's, it's it's really a it's a yeah. right now the club is in great shape like everyone just really gets along there's a real spirit of cooperation um people are a lot more welcoming and yeah, yeah. and i mean th- there was certainly a time like maybe you know six or seven years ago where it was i, I guess i would call it more insular you know it was very like double deep lang like that's what you're gonna do mm-hmm. um you're gonna treat xyz way there wasn't a ton of variation coming from the top down um even though the membership as a whole might have been doing things differently uh whereas now we're really trying to make an effort to um reach out to everybody right and and, yeah. and be be better informed on the executive level about how we can deal with those people so like we we just bought um an az hive we were at EAS this year and our president bought an AZ hive to, to put in our club apiary just so we have that equipment now. Um, people have been talking about it online for a long time. We, none of us in the club use these hives. Mm-hmm. So he bought one. Now we can have that as like a hands-on tool to, to learn how to use it so that when our members have questions, we're actually able to answer them speaking to it from a, a standpoint of experience not just something, you know, we read online or right. uh, we've got a, uh, a flow hive, which, you know, there was a, a lot of pushback from club members, you know, the two of us included about the necessity of this, this piece of equipment, uh-huh. but our members were interested in it. So again, our president, Keith Salisbury, he reached out to the company. They actually donated a flow hive to us. Um, oh, wow. you know, caveat that we would use it for educational, um, purposes like we put it out at our field day and and whatnot but it's great that we can actually have the the hands-on experience to be able to talk to our our members about you know management techniques or equipment or products that we might not necessarily want to use in our own operations Mm -hmm. um but we feel like from a from a club standpoint it's important that we're able to have those kind of conversations yeah 
Well, let's talk about the flow hive for a minute. Since you've had a chance to work with one, what are your opinions? <laughs> like, has, has working with one changed your opinion of it from when you first learned about it? Okay, so I went out in, um, so the, the flow hive is currently at uh, the president's farm, Keith's farm. And I went out there shortly before ha Halloween to do a little extraction demonstration of the uh, flow hive. It was pretty funny because we sat there for about, I would say about, uh, I don't know, like 45 minutes. And we extracted maybe like a pound jar of honey. And the robin, I mean, granted, we didn't have the special gasket or the special things where people like will wrap saran wrap around the tube going into the bottle. Mm -hmm. We have a real problem with robbing in fall. And so we had like there were wasps and there was bees getting into the valve and into the jar and it was like a mess that's and, what i wonder um, about because in the videos they don't sh really show them wrapped up yeah it's just open pour honey and the bees like if you want if you like to eat yellow jackets and <laughs> and and robbing honeybees by all means put them under your you know or was it also too cold? Was the honey not flowing I freely? Because I think we should have probably extracted like in, you know, August, you know, yeah. something like that. But so it was late. It was not the ideal setup. I can see where the attraction is. I would not bother wasting my money because I can extract the super of like, you know, 20, 30 pounds of honey in less time it took for us to get like two jars of of bees and wasps and honey, you know? So I'm like, yeah, we're, I, I think we're going to try again next year. I hope yeah. not at the Reba Apiary, but I, I fear that that might be coming my way. A, a lot of what we do with these, with these other products too, I'll say Mandy is it's not because we think they're going to be the next big thing or, or something we want to use, but we want to kind of almost be the beta test for the club. So yeah. we can say, these are going to be all the pitfalls you're going to, you're going to experience. So to me, like that demonstration that, that Cindy did with the flow hive. That was probably I, pretty I would, valuable. Well, exactly. Know? I wouldn't yeah. look at it as like a failure or a blooper. I'd say like, no, this is the reality of what you guys are going to end up dealing with. Mm -hmm. You know, and what what did it save you? You still have to, to manage that hive. Mm -hmm. Th those flow hive videos are so misleading, in my opinion, where it's this, this complete hands-off approach to beekeeping. You still have to take that, that flow super off and manage the bees the way you manage any hive. Yeah. All right. So maybe you save a little time with the extraction, but any beekeeper who gets to the point that they're able to extract honey, in my opinion, they want to get their hands in there and play with the combs and, you know, probably squish your first one and strain it out because you don't own an extractor yet. Like that's part of the, the joy and the fun of it. I just, it, it seemed to me like a solution to a problem that didn't exist. But, you know, it, uh, you're right about the, the video. That was pretty valuable because everybody could see, like, what not to do. And so if they had a flow hive and they were going to harvest, they would probably say, oh, I'm going to do this, this. And so we probably saved, like, a bunch of people some time and effort, Yeah. maybe. <laughs> so with all of your experience combined, is there anything now that you've come across that startles you or confuses you or... Well, we're confused every day. Yeah. That's, yeah that's I mean, I don't think any beekeeper worth it with his or her salt is 
ever going to think that they have all the answers. I mean, you, you, when you're a second year beekeeper, you do think you have all the answers. And I'm certainly speaking from experience there. Yeah, on my second year, <laughs> I knew it all. Uh, no one was going to tell me anything. You know, well, I read three books by then. You know, look at me go. <laughs> it's really, for me, it's like when I talk to the guys that have like 20 or 30 or 40 years of experience, they still say we're beginners. Like yeah. no one who, who has stuck with it that long claims to know everything. You know, so even, you know, when we talk about like the master beekeeper thing, to me, that I mean, that's not like a way for us to put ourselves above someone else or say we're better beekeepers than you or we know more than you. It means we pass the test. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we there are criteria to this testing. We adhere to that criteria. We passed it. It doesn't mean we're a better beekeeper than someone in our club. I mean, the person who taught us has, what, 20, 30 years of experience. I would never say we're better beekeepers than her because she doesn't have that that certification. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, what, what do we get confused? Do we get, have questions all the time? Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of, um, for me, there's not a lot of black and white necessarily. I mean, there's there's biology, but then when it comes down to behaviors, um, that's like my favorite part. Yeah, no, and mine too. And I mean, that's to me, that's also one of the things that keeps it exciting is that, you know, when, when some of the biggest um, discoveries like Sam Ramsey discovering that Varroa feeds on um, fat bodies instead of hemolymph, which is just within the last few years, yeah. that's such a monumental discovery. And this is within our lifetimes by young people. This isn't like some old white guy 300 years ago wrote the final word on what bee biology and bee behavior is like we're writing it right now i mean not us specifically yeah. but it's being <laughs> written in our lifetimes um and that's so exciting to me is that we're able to see you know things that were in the realm of lore now moving further into the realm of science where it's not just well we believe it because this is what we've seen and here's a bunch of anecdotal you know stories about it it's like no someone sat down and proved this i don't know i think it's really cool dr samuel ramsey also known as dr bugs has proven through meticulous experiments that varroa feeds off of the fat bodies of the bees not the hemolymph as previously believed the fat body is an organ that's an important part of the bee's immune system It stores internal food reserves and also acts as a filter for pesticide exposure. With diminished fat bodies, bees live shorter, unhealthier lives. Will you share some of your biggest bloopers? Oh, my God. Basically, every time we work bees, (laughs) it's a blooper. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah, most of my really comical ones happen when I'm by myself, and uh, which I'm really thankful for. But um, most of the time, like, you drop frames or you you get the hive all closed up and then you get to go back in um, because you forgot something. Well, you had the bees inside your veil. (laughs) Last time we were at the yard, I kept on getting bees in my my veil. I I got a yellow jacket in my veil. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I had, like, splits all along the seam of my veil. It was ridiculous. Um, I had to, like, you know... Duct tape is the beekeeper's best friend. Oh. <laughs> um, I got, uh, there was, 
uh, this was probably in the beginning of October. Um, I had, I took my husband, Brian with me to, um, do some stuff with the bees and, you know, fall, fall beekeeping can be kind of, uh, it's wretched it's a roller coaster ride. They're not <laughs> happy to, I'm, I'm happy right now. I've got like a little bit of the break. And if I'm opening up the hives, they're all kind of clustered in there. I'm just going in to check feet. I'm not like going in to do frames or anything. But um, I, it was like Columbus Day weekend. I went in and we were doing some treatments and some other stuff. And I got stuck, like my pants got stung all like on the inside of my thighs. <gasps> oh. The stingers got embedded, but I didn't even realize it until like I kind of, I squatted down and then all the stingers went into like my legs. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, it was, that was bad. That was bad. And actually that was because I had put um, Apivar in and I had to like remove Apivar like just a few weeks ago. And that, that's what prompted me. I was like, I need a new suit. I'm not getting crotch things anymore. You know, <laughs> <So> that was, <laughs> oh, this is so embarrassing. I was doing an alcohol wash and I don't, I think I was getting a little too overheated. <laughs> you know, I should have like taken a, it was like one of those things where I should have taken a break like 10 minutes before or called it a day. You know, Brian, that's like my little, uh, new little thing is when my brain is saying, call it a day, call it a day. That's when I need to call it a day. And I spilt like alcohol all over a beautiful frame of brood. Mm. I was like, kind of like, bumbling. <laughs> it was awful. I had to go and like dump water on it. And I'm like, oh my God, it was true. Don't, don't try to hold a frame of bees and a bottle of alcohol in the same hand, not drinking yeah. alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> don't drink in doobies either. No, um, I've never done that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I told you earlier about the, the nuke sale where I had had a few beers that day and was just overconfident, not properly dressed. And I just got basically stung to pieces. I mean, that to me is still like kind of my top achievement in bad beekeeping. But I mean, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of other examples. Um, Trying the, to, first, the first yeah. sugar shake I ever did, you know, I put, I put the bees in, put the powdered sugar in, had a, a sealed cover so I could shake them up real good. Then when I took the cover off to do the mesh, I had the wrong size mesh, and it was big enough for the bees to fly out. So all these little white ghost bees just face <laughs> my face. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Um, oh, that's awesome. You know, I mean, recently we we were at the the Reba Apiary. That's um, it's a Sentinel Apiary site. So we, you know, we have a hive scale there, and we do this monthly testing that we, we send these the monthly testing you, you got to collect you know a, a sample of bees that gets sent to the university of maryland they test it for varroa and nosema and let me add to here when you're when you're sampling this uh it's a half cup of bees you're putting it in this tiny little jar with a tiny little opening so basically like we'll scoop the bees and emily is the, really good at getting the bees in there and you have to like mush them through this funnel into the jar of salt water and it's a nightmare because they're so pissed off at you and you're just like trying to get them in and it's just it's it's really not a pretty no and it's it, not pretty it's it's, it's a very pretty. invasive um test like you have to count the number of bees on every frame you know you, you want to rate the brood pattern whether the queen is there whether it's queen right well number of frames of bees the number not of every frame not, not, not every number, exactly. yeah. but um so the last like couple rounds that we did were like in the midst of like robbing season oh my we've God. got all these hives open because you have to do like a certain level and i mean thankfully those hives are they're like off in a farm like away from you know habitation essentially yeah. 
but it it was just such a nightmare of robbing that we were like right in the middle of it's like a tornado yeah i mean we're just like trying to grind through these tests as quick as possible to get the sample and trying to cover everything up and then we have we had a Courtney, the intern, she's like this high school girl that wanted to do um, her senior project on beekeeping. So she's there. We've got robbing. Like, like her know, first yeah. time ever going in. Then- <gasps> oh, <laughs> my God. Elstrom of angry bees. But, you know, again. Each other, like an old married couple. Absolutely. Or something, so. The Sentinel Apiary Program is operated through the Bee Informed Partnership and allows for beekeepers to participate by submitting monthly samples and providing data about their colonies that will be used for honeybee research. Cindy and Scott made the Sentinel Apiary program sound so appealing that I just signed up to participate this year. I am terrified, but also really excited. Nazima. Yeah. Tell us about that, because there's two types, but it seems like um, Nazima serana is becoming more common. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are the, we have um, with the Sentinel Apiary, um, we get tested for Nazima, and is it Nazima A that they test? No, it's, it's Nazima Serrano. Yeah. And we, interestingly, we have, you know, so we'll get like a, a um, report every month showing our levels of mites and our levels of Nazima. And usually early spring, our first like one or two rounds of testing, at least a couple of the hives will have elevated levels of Nazima. Really no no treatment for Nazima C and no, we don't use any of the fumagillin or anything like that. We, mm-hmm. We've done like apple cider vinegar spray, you know, the sprays of like, uh, or honeybee healthy sprays on them, but um, they have resolved by like June. Once the flow starts, they seem to just bounce bounce back mm-hmm. and not really have any problems um those hives are also in a really really wet area yeah and at least early in spring like a lot of times our hive stands are literally sitting in like a couple of inches of water oh uh, wow it's, it's and ridiculous. It just, yeah, for, yeah for any kind of like a fungal um i mean not nosema is not fungal but it's just you want like you want sun on those hives you want it, you're not getting it it's just this it's a swamp it's, uh, it really <laughs> is it's, it's so we moved it, and it's, it's, uh, we moved the hives upland last uh, winter, and it's like muddy. I went there today, and it's still muddy. It's so, oh, so ridiculous. But um, I'd like to move them like further in. Um, I'm actually gonna ask the farmers if maybe we could do that, and then mm. you know, yeah. and maybe like in the middle of winter, we'll we'll move the hives over. At, at least for us there in, the, in that spot. Um, like Cindy said, we do see a little bit of, of heightened nosema levels in the early spring. It always has generally, it just works itself out when, mm-hmm. um, we haven't, nothing that's been symptomatic. It's not like any, they no. don't have any diarrhea. Or yeah. Anything like, interesting. Yeah. You, know, you get a little bit like when, the, when a lot of fresh pollen comes in that you get like bees, like pooping a little more around the hive, but mm-hmm. nothing, um, we haven't really had any problems with nosema. I've had a couple hives that have failed to thrive you know, that I eventually had to uh, euthanize, but we don't really, I didn't send them out for like laboratory tests to see what the deal was. Yeah. But um, So when a colony does fall under the category of failure to thrive, what are some of the s- possible reasons for it? If they're not, if they don't seem sick, but they're just kind of puttering along and like brood patterns okay, but they're just not expanding even though there's resources available. I would, I would check the nutrition level. You know, you go, you look at the fruit, you see if there's brood, 
you know, if the larva is, is swimming or dry, if they're dry, you know, I would uh, add some pollen supplements. Sometimes even when there's pollen coming in, you, it, it just does, it seems like they're not getting what they need. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that um, the quality of the pollen out there, I'm not saying that pollen supplement is anything to really get excited about either, but um, <laughs> I think I think nutrition plays a big part in it, or if it might be viruses. I mean, genetics. Genetics, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it depends. It could be a, a bunch of things. I mean, you know? one, one thing we, we also try to really, um, you know, hammer down on is looking at context. So, you know, like, like treatment for beekeeping, you're always going to find someone who's going to say, I've never treated a bee in 20 years. I've got a hundred hives. They've never been treated. They, they're all kicking butt. Well, but yeah, but you live in a secluded Valley with no other beekeepers around. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can get away with that. You can't get away with that in a state as densely populated as Rhode Island. So a, a hive that fails to thrive, even though maybe there is good forage around, I want to look at the whole context of it. Like, what are you doing as a beekeeper? Like, what are you, are you in your hive every three days? That's going to set that hive back. You know, did you squash a queen without realizing it the last time you were in there? Do you know how to read the cones? I mean, really, the reasons that a hive couldn't thrive, the reasons are legion. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, there, there could be no SEMA. There could be viruses. What are you doing for your mite regimen? Are you testing? Yeah, so you want to see, like, if they have, like, their nutrition is being met, judging by, like, the, how the larva is looking. Mm-hmm. You want to look at your mite loads. You want to look at, like, you know, look at your queen, look at your, like, egg pattern in addition to your um, capped brood, you know? Because sometimes the, uh... the uh, nurse bees will cannibalize eggs and young larva when they're not getting what they need. Sure. So you really want to look at, like, do you have right. eggs and young larva in there? Look, look at the apiary site. Do you have... Yeah. Is the hive set up in the proper way? Is the entrance facing the proper way? Is it in shade and darkness all day? Is it experiencing predators at night? Is it being bothered by skunks and raccoons? Your neighbor, like, liberally spraying everything with pesticides. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's another I mean, do you have, are you, are you the right amount of bees in the right size box? I don't want to have a little cluster of bees in four deeps where it's just a bunch of empty space on empty frames. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's really, you have to really look at it all holistically. You can't, people always seem to get this one kind of bugaboo in their, in their head and they'll be like, oh, it's it's a bad queen or, you know, know, they don't like plastic frames. Like they, they get this kind of monomania and every problem they see, you know, it's that old saying, um, when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. You know, so it's like <laughs> queens are the are the be all end all. Then every problem you see in your hive, you're gonna attribute to a bad queen. You gotta look at the whole picture because it's it's sort of like a, an engine in your car. Like you know, one part doesn't work by itself. It's all it's all a system. Everything has to be connected and has to be connected in the proper way. People get frustrated with that. They want like a hard and fast answer when they say oh this is going on what is it and you go oh it depends and they get you know they get, it's it's it can there's no good answer one answer for anything mm-hmm. and you're gonna and like they say like oh ask five beekeepers one question you get five different answers it's like yeah but well and odds are every one of those answers are correct depending on the context exactly the situation if you so. yeah if you get 10 answers well there's probably one best answer. Yeah. Then there's probably two or three slightly less best answers. And there's probably, probably five or six of those that are lousy answers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not all a question of, you know, opinion. 
Um, I'm trying to be nice. (laughs) When it comes to management and, you know, do you prefer a a Langstroth, a a top bar, a Ware hive? I mean, that, that's opinion when it comes down to biology. I mean, that there's no, there shouldn't be 10 answers. It should be like, no, biology is a set thing. You don't get to say it takes 42 days for a worker bee to emerge from an egg. That's not reality. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's not scientifically accurate. You know, we can't talk about bees without finding out how we got into beekeeping. Uh, I always wanted to be an entomologist. And I had uh, three young children at home. And I, I had, like, my kids very early. Um, my oldest daughter I had when I was 20. So, I, you know, I got my kids and family out of the way very, very early. So, you know, and then as they were getting a little bit older, I'm like, oh, well, what, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And I figured, like, having bees was, like, a, a hobby, kind of. But I always wanted to be an entomologist. I actually toyed with the idea of going to school for forensic entomology. That's my other love is maggots and flies and burying beetles and stuff. I've never Uh, heard anybody say that their other love was maggots and flies. Yeah. Thank you. you. Um, And, uh, you know, like having bees was less daunting than going back to college for uh, entomology. So I did that and it was, you know, I never looked back. You know, like even on the crappiest days, I could, I forget to eat, you know, and drink and stuff if I'm in a beehive, even when they're being <laughs> jerks, even when I'm with the country girls. I'm totally happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was just, you know, Em and I, we, we have always been interested in the outdoors. We always had like a big garden at our, our house. Um, you know, and at that time, we were really aggressive about you know, trying to learn the most about what we did, trying to do things in an organic fashion, you know, and when you get to a certain point, it was like, well, what's going to be the next step? And it, bees just seem like kind of a natural next step. My father-in-law's neighbor got bees and he had like two-year-old daughters and we were up there one day and he was like mowing his lawn, like banging the lawnmower right into the, the hive stand with his two little daughters right next to him. And I said, how is this guy doing this? And the bees don't care. I mean, I, I would certainly not recommend anyone do that, not knowing what I know about bees now, but those bees could not have cared less. And here are these two young girls are out there. They're not wearing protective gear, nor was he. And I'm like, well, if if he can do this safely with these young children around, I mean, we lived in the city at the time. So, again, my first line of thought was, is this going to be safe for my neighbors? And to me, that was like kind of the demonstration I mean, lo and behold, it, in retrospect, it was not an accurate representation. <laughs> that we learned so that later. Or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But um, <laughs> we ended up taking the, the class that the, our club offers um, and just, I don't know, haven't looked back since. I mean, it's totally, I know Cindy will say the same thing, to, totally dominated my life uh, in very, very quick fashion. My children are bee orphans in the summer. <laughs> so are mine. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily for me, like Emily, she does everything we do together. And frankly, a lot of beekeeping for me would not be very fun if I was doing it solo. I mean, I can tell you, uh, it's easily one more of the fun with Emily with us, anyways. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but like one tip I would certainly give anyone interested in bees 
is get a partner to work with. Because there is no task you're going to do that is not going to be easier, quicker, or more fun if you have a partner to work yeah, with. Yeah, if you have somebody to hold that bottle yeah. of alcohol, you're not going to spill it all over the brood frame. <laughs> honestly, some things, I can't even imagine how a single person would have done. Like, some of the things we have done personally. Um, I mean, the, those last hive checks we did, we, we had, like, three or four hands on those hives. Oh, we yeah, the, you guys had the lift. We were removing um, apigar strips, and when I had put them in, one of them, that they were going crazy on me, um, I just kind of stuck it between the frames, and it fell to the bottom. Oh, so crap. I was, like, dreading removing those strips, but you have to get those strips out because you don't want mite resistant, you know? Yeah. And um, so basically they had to like lift the, the both boxes up and I had to pull it from the bottom. It, it went very smooth, but I, for like 42 days, the entire cycle of treatment, I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to get that strip out and that's going to suck. <laughs> so Get a friend. Yes. Always have bee friends. We are the best friends. We're the bee friends. I couldn't agree more. I have met so many amazing friends through beekeeping. If you want to learn more about Scott and Cindy and notes from today's episode, check out my blog at waggleworkspdx.com. I also have a limited supply of Beekeeper Confidential stickers designed by the incredible Megan Pomerlow. They're available in my online store for $5 and come with a handwritten note from yours truly. I want to give a special shout out to one of my patrons, Mike Melchior, for his kind note featuring an irritable owl. He asks if I wear a t-shirt that says, The Bee Team, when I go out swarm catching. I actually don't have a shirt like that, but now I'm on the lookout for one. Usually for swarm catching, I wear my bee suit over whatever clothes I was wearing that day. I did recently purchase a stylish, lightweight denim jumpsuit that I'm going to try out for swarm catching this year. I think it would be easier to wash and hopefully a little bit cooler than my bee suit because I always get really sweaty and gross when I'm collecting swarms. Thank you all for listening. I will be back in two weeks with another episode. Until next time, may the buzz be with you.